Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast, proudly sponsored by Book People Gift Cards. A Book People gift card is the perfect gift for readers of all ages. Simply order your gift card online at bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Redeem at any one of over 500 bookshops across Australia. Visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Madonna King is one of Australia's most accomplished journalists. Madonna has worked across the media, including ABC Radio, Nine, Crikey and The New Daily. And she is the author of several best-selling books, including Being 14, Fathers and Daughters, Ten Ager and L Platers. In 2018, Madonna served as chair of the Queensland government's anti-cyberbullying task force. Today, I'm talking to Madonna King about her new book, Saving Our Kids, the inside story of Task Force Argos. Madonna King, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks, Greg. Saving Our Kids investigates the combined crimes of sex abuse and extortion. Sextortion is the phrase that's been coined. What is it? How does it work? Oh, wow, you're starting with a short question, aren't you? I mean, sextortion is bribery over sexual images. So if you just give me a moment, because it's entirely different whether you have a son or a daughter. So what happens, let's take girls, for example. My daughter might be online and up pops a friendship request from another girl who might say they've met at a rowing regatta or at netball and can they be friends? Who of our teens says no to that? They then befriend them. With girls, over time, maybe weeks, maybe months, the talk will turn to sex and it's understandable for tweens and teens to be interested in that kind of thing, often good girls who don't want to act out in the real world. And the new friend might say something as simple as, you know, my breasts are a bit odd, one's bigger than the other or they're too small or they're too big and send a picture, are yours the same? And now it is also understandable that our daughter might then take a picture of her own and send them to the person she thinks is her new online friend. It's easier than asking mum that question perhaps or her friends at school. And the moment she does that, snap, the person at the other end will out themselves and say, I'm not a friend, you don't know me. It will be a male always. They may be in Australia or Russia or China or India or wherever, and they will immediately say, I'm going to send that to everyone at your school, the boys' school next door, your parents, your teachers, unless you take off all your clothes, unless you do this or that. And, you know, Greg, I listened to videos that just made me bawl like a baby. You know, in one case, Bridget is acting out for someone on her computer screen in her bedroom while a mum's metres away calling her for dinner. So with girls, the predator is a pedophile and wants more and more sexual imagery and will keep coming back to that girl and saying, you must do this now, you must do this under threat that I'm going to release this. With boys, it's entirely different. Who hasn't received an email that is a scam? maybe from uh, Nigeria, the Ivory Coast, Philippines or India, this is the new version of the Australian scam where our boys are being targeted by overseas call centres set up where workers are given free holidays or bonuses to target Australian boys. And in the same way, my son might be at his computer and up pops a request from a pretty girl to join him. She might even say they know mutual friends because they've looked at his public friendship list. 
what boy's not going to befriend her? He might be thinking, that's how I'm going to take to my school formal, or, oh, my God, she's interested in me. The e-safety commissioner uh, says this is keeping her awake at night. U.S. authorities say that boys can take up to three minutes to send a naked picture of themselves to that girl. She will send a naked picture first and say, look, I've done it. Why won't you do it for me? What boy's going to say no? And with boys, while girls the target are maybe 12 to 16, 17, with boys it's maybe 14 to 24, a boy will do that. Send naked picture or a video, and that's the moment the pretty girl says, no, I'm based here and you will now send me $50. You have an hour to do it. They know he has access to funds and they will come back and ask for 100 or 200 or 500. The e-safety commissioner knows of boys who have sent $10,000. I spoke to a mum in Sydney last week whose son cleaned out the house, sent his gaming credits, his Apple vouchers, absolute money his grandparents had given to him for his 16th birthday. And John Rouse, the, the wonderful, humble police officer who I wrote Saving Our Kids with, uh, knows of several suicides as a result of this. Boys who say they have no money and can't provide money are then coerced into opening a bank account in their name through which money is then laundered. And the AFP said to me that there is concern that Australia is becoming the middle ring of a money laundering operation, an organised crime operation. So with girls, the currency is sexual images. With boys, it's more and more money. What are the platforms on which all of this happens? Are we talking about um, the regular social media sites or are we talking something more sinister, something deeper? You name one, it's on it. And, you know, the best proof of that is we all know Bruce and Denise Morecambe, that lovely couple who lost their son Daniel many years ago. And recently their grandson, a six-year-old, was playing Roblox and said, Pa, Nana, why is this person wanting to talk to me all the time? Bruce said his blood ran cold. He checked the history and the same person was trying to groom or contact his grandson. Let's take another, that's Roblox, uh, which is very popular. Let's take Omegle. You know, last week in Australia, there was some toy, I think it was a shark, withdrawn from sale because 12 children had been injured. On Omegle last year, there were 600,000 reported cases of child sex abuse. Skype, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, Kick. You name it, it's not the platform, it's the approach, I guess. These things happen on the open web, the one we're familiar with, but there's also this level beneath it, the dark web, and, and, and even the very dark web, as far as I can um, understand from your book. Now, that's a place that's, well, the name is familiar, but the idea, the place is unfamiliar to most. How does it operate within this uh, space of sextortion? Yeah, you're so right. I'd heard the words but didn't have a clue what it meant before I started this research. So we're on the web. We're even filming this online, and that's the clear web, less than 10% of the total internet. The World Wide Web, 90%, more than 90%, is the dark web. You need software or programs, and I won't even name those, to actually access the dark web. So our children can't stumble across it. But deep inside the dark web, there are all sorts of criminals, really, really baddie, baddie, baddies. And um, sex offenders and pedophiles are amongst them. And John Rouse 
taught me how they are setting up almost these big dark web company type structures where there's a president and a secretary and a treasurer and someone responsible for membership. And what is the membership? The membership are online pedophiles trading child sex abuse. And, you know, this is a horrible thing even to articulate, but in many of those companies, which may have a million members, their membership requires them to upload fresh child abuse images every month or every six weeks. Now, in Australia in recent times, we've had some big charges laid um, and some big convictions. And in almost all those cases, that was a result of our investigators going inside the dark web, pretending they were a member, um, accessing what is happening, and then getting the evidence to charge someone. So, you know, when I asked investigators, how do we protect our kids? How, what does a predator look like? There's only one thing they have in common, and that is access. So either access offline through a family member of being abused or access online from a complete stranger. And online is now the new distribution method. Tragically, once, it's, once an image is there and being traded, how do you get it back? You don't. And I think um, American authorities have said that three quarters of the 85 million images that were travelling the dark web, I think it was last year, um, were ones previously seen, but they were just being distributed and redistributed. So how does our child ever escape that? And if I can just add one other thing then, you know, um, 70% of what investigators are seeing is self-generated. So a kid taking their own clothes off or uploading something or setting up an iPad in their room and doing an exotic dance. But with the introduction of artificial intelligence, baddies are even taking the face of children that maybe we as parents have uploaded at a ballet concert or a swimming carnival taking the clothes off in Photoshop or more involved platforms and then trading that image. What a responsibility we have to protect our children given that's going on. This book is about Task Force Argos and particularly John Rouse. Uh, and John Rouse is a central figure in this book and in the formation of Task Force Argos. From what you've just said, we're dealing not with individuals or small groups, but sometimes things that uh, approach corporate structures. How does an organisation like Task Force Argos, the resources it might have, how does it deal with these companies? What's the process? I think anyone who's interested in true crime would find this really interesting because it's not even just Task Force Argos. Let's take former Inspector John Rouse. He's only left police because in the state where I am, Queensland, there's compulsory retirement at 60, which is what, what prompted me to record his story. Um, he's this lovely, humble, shy human being who 39 and a half years ago started to work in child abuse. Um, as a police officer and then set up online child abuse investigations. You know, during COVID, our own states and internationally, our governments couldn't cooperate. There are all sorts of rules depending on what state you were in. This is the one area I've discovered where there are no borders, both in the crime but in the investigation. And both the FBI and Interpol told me that John Rouse is probably the world leader 
when it comes to fighting online child sex abuse. And so what they do is he works basically all night and what he might get a tip from someone in Sweden or the UK or Canada or America saying, look, we've picked up this person and there seems to be an Australian accent um, on the video involving uh, an Australian girl. They will then swap the videos and the evidence and they will work together as a team. Many of them belong to Interpol teams that John has led and others have led, but John is certainly a world leader where they use the resources of the best victim identification specialists across the globe and they will work together because they don't know where that perpetrator is or where the victim is. So it's not something that can be done in Victoria only or New South Wales only or even UK only. It has to, by the nature of the crime, it requires investigators to work together around the world. And of course, the process of investigation is incredibly detailed and slow moving at times too. The evidence, of course, is there in the videos and the photos and whatnot. Quite damning evidence, one would think. But but how is that material used to build cases against perpetrators? Oh, what a great question. And I guess this comes down to their investigative work. So in one case, um, an investigator could um, see that a young girl was being sexually abused, but there were no faces, there was nothing identifiable except for something related to a beer can, a couple of letters sitting on a mantelpiece. And he had that rebuilt um, with software programs and it could only be one brand of beer. He then spoke to the manufacturers who found out where that beer was produced and he was able to then narrow down that investigation to one state in the United States. In other places, it may be a square of carpet or a bedspread or uh, in one case in Europe, it was a song playing on the radio. In another, it was one word during a news bulletin, but mentioned a town um, in Europe. And they knew immediately that it had to be in that vicinity. So first, I guess they look at the material and talk to producers of that material and then distributors and try and narrow it down to a country, a climate and then a state, then a city, and bit by bit using accents um, and curtains and carpet and bedspreads and anything else that they may see in videos to narrow it further and further down to a suburb and perhaps even a street. Some of those investigations can take three days if they're lucky. Some of them, and one in particular, took four or five years, and I think that's the one that will always break a lot of investigators' hearts. Um, but, you know, what we're talking about seems so sad, and of course it is, but these cops trade on hope, you know, and I remember saying to John Rouse, well, what about this predator and what about this predator? And he got really cranky with me, you know, as cops can, and he said, I'm not interested in the predators. My KPI is saving children. And I just love that because that's how they see it. And every day somewhere in the world, a child is being saved that we never hear about. It never makes headlines because of these fabulous group of investigators of which John is a leader. There's a whole range of things that need to be done to deal with this issue. Um, we, we talk about prevention, we talk about education, um, but it's a very sensitive topic and not very easy to talk about. What are the pathways to opening up discussion on it and 
well, of course, there'll never be a cure, but how can we work towards better solutions? I think we've got to talk about it. We've got to talk to our kids about it. We've got to talk about it in a policy sense. I think the idea of it's called Stop It Now, the helpline in Australia, and at the moment it's only funded to help people over 18, but they're getting calls from young boys 13 saying, I need help. And so, you know, we can put our head in the sand and say, and I would have before this research and just said, hang them all. But, you know, investigators who do this day in and day out says, what does that do? How does that help save young kids? So I think we do have to do it. We have to listen to the experts and try to navigate a conversation around that for the perpetrators. With our own children, we need to start parenting. You know, we need to say no to a smartphone, buy them a dumb phone if they're little. We need to make sure that their friendship lists are private, not public, because a Nigerian scammer is going to find it harder to track down one of our children if their friendship list is private. We need to know how they operate on social media platforms. Do we know how to use Instagram? If we don't, who's going to teach our child? You know, I love social media, but it's a bit like a car, isn't it? It's powerful, it's really useful, but it's just as dangerous. And we would never give the keys to our car to our 16-year-old and say, you're 16 take it for a spin. We teach them. We sit there petrified for 100 hours hanging on to the bar while they learn to drive. And I think we've got to start seeing social media, Greg, in the same way. Madonna King, thanks so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I've been talking to Madonna King about her new book, Saving Our Kids, The Inside Story of Task Force Argos. It's published by Hachette and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading Podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People Gift Card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au.